Just when everyone thought it was safe to be normal, the Delta variant of COVID-19 emerged. It threw off a lot of plans, including the federal response to the pandemic. The Government Accountability Office has been regularly reviewing agency response performance. In their latest report, auditors came up with 16 more recommendations. For more, Tom Temin spoke with the GAO's healthcare team director, Jessica Farb. And of course, you have been on this case ever since Congress told GAO, and I guess it was the CARES Act, to take regular looks at what is going on. And just review for us what this latest look-see was covering for you. Oh, it covered a range of programs. This is our eighth report comprehensively covering the federal government's continued efforts to respond to and recover from the pandemic. We had 37 different enclosures as part of our report, looking at things like COVID testing, child nutrition, unemployment, insurance, fraud, risk management, the coronavirus state and local fiscal recovery funds, among others. And the Delta variant, though, really did throw a spike into the works, so to speak? I think the biggest issue with the Delta variant for the federal government's response is the uncertainty it has created in a number of these programs in terms of knowing how much more benefits are going to be needed or knowing that we need to keep at certain things like testing and ensuring that the testing continues and that it's robust. So I think that that's been the biggest issue with the response in terms of making sure that programs are accounting for this resurgence in cases, as well as sort of planning for some of the uncertainty that will continue, you know, well into these winter months. I guess the implication here then is that the rate of rise or fall in the daily or weekly cases somehow translates back into demand for government services and funding for these various channels of response. Exactly. I think for some programs, they have faced issues with needing more guidance on how to implement the program or how to receive benefits from a program. I think initially some of the planning, you know, thought that things would be better by the summer. And so some of these programs might not wind down completely, you know, be less in demand, as you say. And it's also complicated by the fact that since the original CARES Act back, seems like a million years ago, but it was in 2020, (laughs) Other programs have been overlaid on the response to where there's got seven or eight different programs for relief from different agencies for different relief purposes. Right. There were several bills passed by Congress to create different relief efforts in areas that they saw as necessary. We've looked at all of them under our CARES Act mandates, and some of the programs and some of the funds have been, you know, sort of overlapping, but also some of them have been sort of as more funds have been needed, more needs have been identified, uh, created to address those. Got it. And the other thing I read in your report, given the number of individual programs, is many of them have not obligated all the original funding to begin with, almost as if too much money has been thrown at the problem, or at least appropriated for the problem. That's correct. I think Congress has asked GAO and really expects us to help them with oversight of how much has been dispersed and obligated and expended. And we are tracking that in our work across the various programs and departments. And in some cases, there's a little bit of a lag in the data. So we're working closely with Treasury to try to understand where those differences in obligations and expenditures exist and reporting that out to Congress. So, for example, in total, there's been over $4.7 trillion appropriated and expenditures have only been at almost $3.4 trillion so far. So there's another over trillion dollars that has still to be expended. But we're, as I said, working closely with Treasury to track those funds.
In other words, there's enough left over at this point to equal the entire infrastructure bill, just as a point of reference, that's all. I guess that's an interesting way to look at it, Tom, yes. Now, when you talk to some of the agencies, they may say, well, we know that there will be additional spending that is going to occur. A lot of these funds can be expended through 2025, so they're not one-year monies, they're multiple-year monies, and that's sort of, I think, not unheard of with disasters or pandemics in terms of needing time for the funds to reach the neediest recipients, as well as making sure that the oversight of those funds is being done correctly. We're speaking with Jessica Farb. She's a director on the health care team at the Government Accountability Office. And just review briefly, give us a sense of the overview, if you will, of the many recommendations that you had made to the various agencies before this latest report. Oh, yeah. I think those recommendations have, um, we've made 195 prior to this report, and those have covered over 14 agencies that have been dealing with public health response, service delivery, the economy, and program integrity activities. The agencies have partially or fully implemented about one-third of those recommendations so far. An example of one that has been agreed with and has started to be implemented is we recommended that the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, or the CDC, take steps to be able to comprehensively assess the long-term effects of COVID-19 on persons across the nation, but also in particular certain races and ethnicity. And we did that because preliminary research suggests that these long-term health effects can include heart, brain, and lung abnormalities. And CDC has agreed with our recommendation and started to collect data to do that kind of assessment and analysis. Yeah, so there's about 60-some recommendations yet to be implemented. And then in the latest report, you have piled on a little bit with if I count 16 new recommendations, and generally what types of things do those cover? Those cover things like oversight of fraud risk, making clear how beneficiaries can access relief funds, making sure we're using consistent policies in terms of rewarding those funds, things like looking at child nutrition programs and duplication there. It's a wide range of issues that are covered. One example is for the Provider Relief Fund, which was intended to provide funds to keep medical practices and medical facilities open during the pandemic when a lot of the elective care was being postponed. You know, we found that a large amount of that fund had been allocated but not yet dispersed, and there were still some that had been unallocated, but the agency that's supposed to oversee these funds hadn't been doing a lot of post-payment reviews of the payments that they made to make sure that they weren't going to the wrong entities. All right. And there's a lot of programs, as we mentioned here. There's a relief for health care providers. There's the state and local fiscal recovery funds. There's unemployment insurance. There's FEMA disaster relief directly related to the pandemic. There's loans for aviation and other types of programs in addition to the small business loans and so forth. I guess most of that has been played out. Overall, I mean, what's your sense of the government's ability to deliver these programs with some degree of integrity on a scale of A through F at this point? Ooh, I think we think they're doing okay. We're, we're still finding some areas, as, as obviously, with 16 new recommendations where there can be improvements. Often there's something in place, but we're finding, you know, that there may be a lack of information or a lack of clarity um, or a lack of consistency um, in some of the oversight. And I think... You know, across the board, it's hard to give one score given the size and scope of all of these programs. But some of the work that we've done, you know, reflects previous work prior to the pandemic where we've noted concerns about programs and oversight of, of these programs. And some of these agencies, you know, were thrown kind of into 
into an oversight function that they weren't typically performing in the past as part of their normal operations. For example, when I mentioned the Provider Relief Fund, the Health Resources and Services Administration is the entity that's implementing that program, but you know they typically are not a large entity in terms of putting out that type of funding. That usually falls to an agency like the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and they... <laughs> They have a lot of oversight built into their activities because of the nature of what they do and the size of the programs that they manage. Yes, they're used to trying to ferret out waste, fraud, and abuse because the programs exactly. they operate are kind of the biggest uh, improper Huge. payers. Yeah. So eight reports to go so far by GAO. What's the prognosis? How long does this oversight role related to the pandemic go on for GAO? Well, we are closely working with our congressional oversight clients and talking to them about additional reports. We right now will be reporting again in January and April and plan to report beyond that. As I said earlier, the funds go through 2025, so there's a need for oversight that continues till those funds are fully expended and we can provide Congress with the information that they need to know how well everything was handled and how well it was spent and what lessons can be learned from all of this. So you won't retire on this work, but you could come close. <laughs> well, hopefully, no. I'm, I'm still got a few more years of federal service left. So, no, I won't be retiring on this work. But right. I do think it's important work that we will continue to do. We haven't determined yet how we will continue our reporting. In addition to the eight comprehensive reports that you mentioned, we've also reported over 120 other reports that are specific aspects of the federal response. We've testified on these issues, and we've also released what we call science and technology spotlights, so focusing on really specific aspects of the science angle to the pandemic and the response and recovery. Jessica Farb is a director on the healthcare team at the Government Accountability Office. We'll post this interview along with a link to her report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything, and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? 
my style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up. Uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right. And you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, 
um, from C to C suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.